This is Holes to Heavens, a show dedicated to cosmos, to mythos, and to psyche. If you like what you're about to listen to, please consider leaving some stars or a review, or you can always share it with a friend. Welcome to another podcast, this one being recorded in Madeira once again. The date is March 23rd, 2021. The update on Lockdown International is that we do have the green light to return back to England, yet it's complicated. Still need to get confirmation of whether I can pass through mainland Portugal to get there and take 10,000 tests before I arrive. You know how it is. And no need, it seems, at the moment for a forced vaccination, but that's on the agenda seemingly as well (laughs) in a lot of European countries. So that's where I'm at. Still here in Madeira. At least it's getting sunny. We're in a new spot right on the beach in Paul du Mar. It's quite beautiful. I'm not complaining. It's just after a while gets frustrating when there's larger forces just pushing you back. Mars on the North Node recently, feeling it deeply. Anyhow, I had this amazing conversation the other day with a lady by the name of Mary Stewart Adams, and you're about to listen to that conversation. She's a star lore historian based out of Michigan, also a dark sky enthusiast. She actually established a dark sky park in Michigan. It's in Headlands, I believe, if my memory is serving properly. She says it in in the show. So if you're in Michigan or close and you want to go to this dark sky park, I highly recommend it. There's nothing like seeing the night sky as it should be seen. And so here's to the good work that Mary has done around that. She's been doing this work for around 20 years. She actually just published her first book as well, which is The Star Tales of Mother Goose. A book for children, but also adult children as well. Those of us that are interested in story and myth and fairy tale. And so congratulations on that one. You can find it on her site at starlore.co. If you're interested in the book, I'm sure you're going to be interested in what she's up to because it's an amazing conversation and I'm excited for you to hear it. But before you do, to support the show, if at any point you're like, man, I really love listening to these conversations about the sky and myth and everything else that's that gets discussed. Well, if you leave some stars on your podcast app, leave a review, take a screenshot of it, and send it to me. I'll link you to any class of your choosing. In fact, the second installment of Constellating Psyche is happening this upcoming Sunday, the 28th of March, where we're going to focus on the sun. The intent is to bring the sun back to the center. I know it was the sun that got all of us involved in this in the first place. It brought us into this world in the first place. And now, 
I want to bring us back into the center of the circle. I want to use story, perhaps a few tales of Apollo, a few tales from other cultures as well. We'll see how it goes. And then ground it with wonderful chart examples, progressions, solar arcs, etc. And so you can get that class for free just by leaving some love through stars or a review. If you want to be a part of all the Constellating Psyche classes, you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash adamsummer. You don't need to be at the tenor up level to be a part of Constellating Psyche. You can just join for a dollar. If you listen to all these shows, it's the easiest way of just saying, hey, keep up the work. And sure, I'll, I'd love to have access to the 50 other patron-only shows as well, just for offering you four quarters. You just go to patreon.com slash adamsummer. Lastly, this podcast is brought to you by Solar Fire. If you go to alabe.com, you can get the most supreme astrology program into your life. Just use promo code SOMA to get 15% off of Solar Fire. And so that music in the background is by a cat named Matthew Halsell. Matthew Halsell. Check his music out. It's very nice, loungy jazz. I like it. I'm sure you will too if you're into that kind of music. And let's look for the stars and everything. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Mary as much as I did. And I will speak with you on the other side of it. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. You came to me as a recommendation from a friend of the show. And last time he did that, uh, it was a wonderful recommendation. So I thought I'd look you up and see what you're, what you do. And I'm like, oh yeah, he, he understands the show. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as a first time guest to the podcast, maybe give a quick introduction of who you are and what you're up to with your star stories. Yeah, all right. So my name is Mary Stewart Adams and I am in Northwest Lower Michigan and I am I self-describe as a star lore historian, which is a name that I created for myself in order to allow people to have access to what I was talking about. Um, and this is because I got my degree in English literature and I got my first introduction to the stars through astrology, but I found myself oftentimes working in environments where mentioning the word astrology might close doors for people or just telling stories might not be connected enough. So I wanted this really broad scope where I could say, hey, I'm going to tell stories about the sky. And through the course of doing that, having that experience with an audience or with a, a classroom of people, um, I will then make use of astrology and astronomy and the new star wisdom of astrosophy. And rather than label myself according to any one of those disciplines, I just give this broad description of a star lore historian. But it also keeps me free um, in that I think most of my work could be described as being phenomenologically based because I really want to be reading the starry script, to actually be out under the sky, reading it, looking at what the aspects are and considering what might the 
what might starry worlds be gesturing or saying to us through the gestures that it's making. And so that's kind of how I've, um, that's where I've ended up. Of course, it's not where I started. Um, I started in astrology as an 18 year old and I didn't do it because I wanted to read charts for other people. I wanted to understand myself. And so astrology as a tool of self-knowledge was really what was driving me. And then in my early 30s, I met a woman from Wales who was an astrosopher who was telling a story that uh, had to do with the great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter that was coming in early in the early 2000s. And she connected it to a story that comes from the New Testament. And I was kind of dumbstruck. I thought, you know, I didn't know that those stories went with these kind of celestial configurations. And not only did I not know that, but I didn't know that they went together. And I had this kind of epiphany of like, wow, I, I want to know the stories and the way they're connected to what's happening in the sky. So that journey, um, I'm now in my 57th, almost 58th year. So it's been a long journey since then. And one of the most remarkable experiences I had along the way was with this particular person in my asking her, how can I do this? How do I become an astrosopher? How do I do what I just saw you doing? And her response to me was to ask me my name. And when I said my name to her, then she just chanted my name back to me. And so this was this remarkable call to a destiny path, you know, that I, I didn't know was there other than that it was really exciting to me, this kind of work this way. And it left me completely free, which means that I'm certain I made a lot of mistakes along the way. But what I arrive at is that what I know about the story and what I know about the stars comes out of what I have been able to glean by being human and recognizing that we're connected to our environment. And that environment includes the the cosmos, the, the celestial world around us. Indeed. So yeah. great start. And the, the term astrosophy is yeah. a Steiner concept, correct? Yes. Yep. And yep. I'm pretty sure we've never explored that on the show in the 12 years I've been doing this. I've always wanted to uh -huh. explore Steiner on it. And so if you could give a bit of an intro to that for the listeners. Yeah, I'd love to. So I think that the best way to understand it is to put it in the context of astrology and astronomy as well. And to look into the cultural history of humanity. And you see that what we refer to as astrology really has its roots in ancient cultures um, coming out of Mesopotamia and particularly during the time of the Egyptian culture where we've got this speaking of the stars, the astrologos, which was really the way the cultural life was governed. And there is a belief at this time that every human being comes from a star, that we do not originate with the earth. Of course, we get the, the stuff to make the physical body that we inhabit from the earth, but that every human being descends from a particular star. And you even see this later with the Greeks in Plato writes about this in his Timaeus. And so this astrology really has its roots, you could say, in that star speaking about the destiny of the human being that is descending from the stars to the earth. And then when we get, I'm just going to really 
skip very fast through history, but when we get to the sure. late, later Middle Ages and the beginning of the Renaissance and then the time of Nicholas Coper Copernicus and the introduction of the idea that the earth is not fixed at the center, but that it's in motion around the sun, this causes a tremendous shift in the consciousness of humanity. And now we have the beginning of the astronomia or the body of knowledge that is about the physical positions of the planets, uh, the, their distances, their speeds, the chemical composition of their atmospheres, the things that really have to do with the physical qualities and no longer the spiritual qualities or the way the planets might be connected to the human being in their physiology or even in their, in their psyche. And so this is beginning in the 1500s. And then with the work of Rudolf Steiner at the beginning of the 20th century, we have the introduction of this word astrosophia, the star wisdom. And this is not a newfangled astrology because it's not about going back to an ancient culture, but looking at what did what wisdom can we glean from ancient cultures? What wisdom can we glean from more recent and even contemporary cultures in understanding ourselves as human beings on the earth now in relationship to the stars? And what astrosophers will do, um, at least the way I experienced it in the way it was introduced to me, is that rather than, or in addition to looking at the birth chart, so the moment of one's birth, you can calculate the moment of <clears throat> the descent of the spirit germ, which is something that was understood by the ancients, looking at the position of the moon around the time of conception, and then reading the gestures of the planets through the nine months of the gestational period from the conception to the birth. And there will actually be 10 lunations in a normal healthy pregnancy term. And so you can read month by month what's happening with the planets and then how is that projected into the life of the, the soul spirit being that then is born in the physical world at the, at the time of the birth. So it's a, it's a very deep and deeply esoteric picture. And it's fascinating. And it, I think, can take a lifetime of journeying toward the self and in really trying to understand, um, you know, how, how, is, how are the experiences in my life an expression of this gesture of the stars. And also for me, very personally, and maybe even in a self-centered way, if, I, if, if the ancients had it right that we come from a star, then this must be knowable. And if it's knowable, how do I find that out? Whom do I ask, hmm. right? Like, where do I go to get that? And, and asking that question, at least for me, led me on a fascinating journey. I want to know more about this journey, but first, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this this idea of the spirit germ coming in and conception and tracking the lunations—that's quite yeah. the task to figure out. A uh, friend of the show, At Man, maybe you're familiar with Tad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has a version that of astrology that he kind of can track conception a little bit. And mm -hmm. I'm curious of how Steiner does it. Like what's the approach to being able to extract that information? So I would like to qualify it a little bit and actually say that the, the gentleman that really refined it was Willie Zucker. Okay. And I think he met Rudolf Steiner as a young man. 
or maybe he wasn't even an adult yet, but Rudolf Steiner had um, one of his colleagues was Elizabeth Vreda. She was a Dutch astronomer and she was also a mathematician. And she was the person that actually asked Willie Zucker to develop astrosophy. So Rudolf Steiner absolutely spoke about the stars and about the human relationship with the stars, but the development of astrosophy was something that was taken up by this gentleman, Willie Zucker. And I will qualify what I'm about to say by saying that just as I'm shy about saying I'm an astrologer or I'm an astronomer, I don't always say I'm an astrosopher. I say I'm a star lore historian because I like to call from these different disciplines. Um, and I certainly know how to cast a chart this way. But what I understand is that looking back into the ancient wisdom, there was this understanding that the descent of the spirit germ happens about 18 days after the conception. So when we're looking at, um, you know, not everybody's aware of the moment of conception, but this is something that in a prior time when human beings lived more closely to the rhythms of nature, I think it would have been more, I don't know if conscious is the word I want to use, but just that, so looking around the time of the conception and then counting 18 days or going back from the phase of the moon at the moment of birth, there's a, a very specific moon relationship with that moment of the descent of the spirit germ and then what the moon is doing at the moment that you're born. So you could subtract 10 lunations yes. from the moment of birth and you can find yeah. something out that way. And then what you would do is say, okay, so each lunation belongs to seven years in the life. So the first month of the pregnancy, and you could also... If you're working with somebody that is expecting a child, you know, you never want to impose on the free will of another, but also you could say to the expectant mother, when you are, you know, paying attention to dream or paying attention to what rises up, you know, to have this mood of not only expecting a child, but expecting that the child is communicating something about what it intends. And that that might be to formed a way to say it. But so the first month of pregnancy would be related to the first seven years of life and then the second month to the second seven years and, and on so that there are, it ends up that it's about 70 years of life force that's built into this, um, this rhythm that actually, yeah. So yeah, each lunation is seven years, even though there's, there's 10 lunations. So that's how we get to 70. And this is roughly coincident with, um, okay, I'm going to take another jump, but the amount of time it takes for the earth to process one degree, you know, it's wobbling um, on its axis. So we have the, the rotation, which gives us a 24-hour cycle. We have the orbit, which gives us the 365 days of the year. And then we have the earth wobbling on its axis at a rate of one, about 172nd of a degree each year that gives us the precession of the equinox. But you could also look at this in relationship to the life force that is given to the human being. And that this is woven into the physiology through these lunations while, while the, a woman is gestating with a child on the earth. It gets pretty deep. It does get deep. I've never heard it talked about this way, but I can't help but make connections between the moon and Saturn. Like when you're speaking right. about the seven, 
I mean, right. it works in seven year increments. <clears throat> and yeah. And when you look at, so you've got the, the synodic and the sidereal rhythms of the moon mm -hmm. and the synodic rhythm, what is it about 28, 27 and a half days, 28 and a half days or 29. Well, it's almost the same. Number of, excuse me. Are you talking about the synod between sun moon or yes. Yes. 29 and a half. Yeah, and so that's about the amount, the number of years it takes for Saturn yes. to return. So we've got this really lovely harmony between Moon and Saturn. And of course, in former cultures, before the use of the telescope and the discovery of the outer planets, Saturn marked that outer boundary. So Moon is closest in, Saturn is furthest away, and they have this harmonious rhythm with one another. So coming from a star and beginning at least with Saturn in this ancient picture of picking up the forces that then from the starry worlds, we get the, these formative forces for the body. So Aries, the head, Taurus, the larynx, Gemini, the limbs, all the way to Pisces, the feet. But then coming through the planetary spheres, this is where we're getting the rhythmic organs, the heart, the lung, the spleen, the liver, the gall, these things that are within the organism that have a certain harmony with the, the motion of the planets. At least, you know, well into the Middle Ages, that was the, how the astrology was practiced and understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even after the Copernican yeah. revolution, a yeah. lot of people still saw the cosmos that way, especially through astrology. And yeah. it's interesting, like I've always been aware of it, but it's more recent that I've been entertaining it as a reality, like actually, yeah, just like they, they talked about this for thousands of years and it's how they saw the cosmos. Right. Why not try to see the cosmos in that same way? And it's very interesting, especially of the descent of the soul and the ascent out of life and having to visit all of these celestial spheres and in a way, pick up the ticket stubs to all the karma in each planetary realm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, which is, you know, for me, it's really fun then to, like like you, it's like, I think, oh, were they wrong or did we just forget? Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they built incredible cultures out of these ideas, not they being people before our time and almost every culture, not just the Egyptians, not just the Greeks, but the, the Maya, the, you know, everywhere in the world, you can see there's a star lore and there's a harmonious celebration or at least a striving to live in harmony with the cosmos and to live in harmony with the cycle of the year and with the phases of the moon and to try to understand the human life as an expression of this divine gift. And I think that that's, we need, we could use a really healthy dose of that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need to remember a few things. It's yeah. true. It's true. So let's get back to that wild story you mentioned of how it got you to this place. We kind of like, I, I didn't derail it, but I paused it to now. And so, yeah. Um, I mean, it might be, it might not feel like an aha moment to anybody listening, but for me, it was, again, I, I, as a, as a spiritual scientist, I look at myself as the research project, right? So self-knowledge is the highest knowledge. And it's like, all right, I'm going to look at this human life and try to understand it as objectively as I can, recognizing, of course, that I'm, I'm within it. So I can't be that objective. But once I had this experience with 
uh, Hazel Straker, who was the woman that chanted my name to me way back there in the late 90s, um, I, you know, I was a little befuddled because there was no assignment. There were no books. There was no list of books to read. There was no lectures to attend. There was no thing to study in particular. It was just my name spoken to me from somebody who, out of a, I'm assuming a perception after the lecture she had given, that I should walk up and ask a question like that in that moment, that I was being called and she just affirmed it for me. And so uh, well, I guess I'll just dip into my biography, what happened after that. I was a single parent, I have four children and I got really sick. Um, I ended up almost dying of meningitis, which I think is part of this uh, initiation experience that we go through when we really land pretty solidly in our destiny. There's kind of this challenge and it doesn't have to be life-threatening, but sometimes it can be. And I, in coming out of that, realized that I didn't necessarily have the all the forces that I had prior to that experience, but I had a burning realization that I needed to teach about the night sky no matter where, no matter how, that this is absolutely what I needed to do. And so I started looking for ways that I could do that. And my children were in school, so I would volunteer to teach in the schools. Um, I, I would go to the local community college. I started writing a column for my local newspaper and recognizing that I would be speaking to people that didn't share my language. They didn't know necessarily know astrology, though some of them might. Um, they might not have had the access to the stories that I was going to tell. So it was really this testing of myself about whether or not I could really speak in environments where there would be astrologers, where there would be astronomers, where there would be uh, children. You know, how, how can I tell the story that will allow the door to stay open so that we can say, yes, we are connected to the stars. It does have something to do with us and that this doesn't um, take us back into ancient cultures. We can stay right here in the contemporary culture and know this connection. And it doesn't mean that you've, you know, gone into some kind of um, spiritual la-la land, but that as a conscious, awake, striving, successful human being, you can know that you have a connection with the stars. And so out of that, um, some interesting things happened, which included my leading a team of people to establish an international dark sky park, one of the first 10 in the world. Um, and that was out of this desire that I had to say, okay, so many people don't have access to the night sky, first because of light pollution, but also because they haven't been taught the names of the stars or the constellations or where those things come from. And so we're kind of suffering this cultural amnesia because every culture has a star lore and we could just we could each look into our own heritage and and find it so i thought you know if we could just have a place where we could go to actually witness the night sky and then start to tell these stories again so for me it was never about telescopes um, it was always just about getting people out at night to look at the sky and then sharing stories and so that designation happened in 2011 
And not long after that, I, I did get a phone call from uh, the president of an astronomy club who said, hey, I'm just wondering if you have telescope pads there at your dark sky park. I'd like to bring my group up there. And I remember thinking, oh, right, the astronomy community is going to probably want to come here because it's dark <laughs> and we protected it. Um, it just hadn't occurred to me because it was so human centric what I was doing. It's like, this is about the human being. This is about a human being on the earth, looking at the stars and knowing they're connected. Um, so that was a, a, a big step in this journey. Um, I left the direction of that park in the hands of some very capable people just a few years ago and have since uh, devoted myself to working more independently and also recently just published this book, The Star Tales of Mother Goose, which also comes out of this sense that if we can, um, gosh, I feel like I'm being very strong in the way I'm saying this, but that I, I feel like the stars are hidden in everything. Mm. And in addition to stargazing, which for me is, you know, going out and looking at the sky, we can be star seeking, which means looking for the stars in everything because they are in art, they're in architecture, they're in agriculture, they're in nursery rhymes and fairy tales and poetry. And some of the highest achievements in human civilization have resulted from this seeking the harmony of the stars. Uh, so that's that's That's, that's a good I'm line. I'm gonna use that line. Looking for stars and everything. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a keeper. So where is the dark sky park? So it's in Mackinac city, which is on the, it's on the shores of Lake Michigan okay. near the Straits of Mackinac, where the great Lake Michigan connects to the great Lake Huron. Uh -huh. And so Lake Michigan is the fifth largest body of freshwater in the world, as you know. And so I think it's an ideal place to stargaze because you've got you know the lake is continually reflecting the sky up into the environments so you kind of had this as above so below experience not just because you're seeing the stars in the lake but just the mood of the lake is always reflecting the mood of the sky so you really get this sense of or at least i get this very strong sense of being human as a mediator between the heavens and the earth you could say and so the headlands, it, it, the, the park is called the Headlands. Um, and it's this last piece of land that juts out into Lake Michigan before you, if you're coming up from the lake, entering into the Straits of Mackinac. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah there's a couple of my students from Michigan. So those of you listening. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely visit. And... <clears throat> Let's, I mean, with, with all this said, I mean, we, we are talking on the equinox. That's right. And I was just outside and, and, and watching the glow of the sun just drop into the Atlantic. And yeah. the moon is very close to the hunter. Yes. Right now. And yeah. for myself, I mean, I have a lot of personal planets in that particular area of the sky, but it's also seemingly a part of the sky that draws a lot of people. And I think yes. it's mainly because of Sirius. A lot of people are attracted to that little party in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just curious with those two moments that, that we find together, is there a story that you could share with us that yeah. you feel is relevant or relevant? 
I think so. I mean, I'm, yes, there's, again, I'll, I'll go back to this word I used earlier about being a phenomenologist, right? Uh -huh. So let's look, just look at the phenomena. And right before we got on this, uh, got on here to do this talk, I was looking at an image from Sky and Telescope of what the moon will be doing next week when it, it looks like it's kind of tucked up, tucked in under the front arm of, of the lion. And um, it's just, I love to see a picture like that and think, okay, what is it like when you know, like the moon is in the arms of the lion right close to the beating heart? And mm. what story can we tell out of that? Or like you said, we've got the moon coming quite near the hunter. And you know, there's, there's a lot that pops up for me. Um, the hunter is in Native American tradition here in the Northern Great Lakes region where I am. He's the winter maker. And there is a practice of not telling stories unless there is snow on the ground. And I think it's related to the protection that the winter maker provides. And that when the sign opposite, the, the, the region of sky opposite starts to come over the horizon, which is where we have the scorpion, then there are certain stories that you do not tell because the scorpion is listening and will take revenge. Mm -hmm. So we're in this transition in the season right now where the winter maker is starting to set. And the, um, the region of, of the bull, the Taurus that's right there above Orion is... Uh, particularly fascinating right now because the the horns of the bull uh the the southern tip of the southern horn is where the there was a star that went supernova in july of 1054 and that region is now called the crab nebula but this um in in chinese star lore that star has a name that means celestial gateway and so right now we're at this equinox time where the sun is coming across the celestial equator and the moon is passing by the celestial gateway. So it really seems to have this quality, not only of our coming into a new season, but then the moon is kind of also putting an accent mark on the fact that we're crossing through something. So the moon isn't always in that spot, as you know, when we come to the equinox moment, but, but this year it is. And so I feel like that's really exciting. And then just to look into the world of fairy tale, I look at this region of sky in relationship to the English fairy tale of Jack and the Beanstalk, where you know he, he and his mother are so poor, they, they don't have any food and he has to go to market to sell the milking cow. But of course he trades it for this handful of magic beans. And then his mother is so upset, she throws the beans out the window and they go to bed hungry. But then the next morning, he sees this beanstalk, he climbs up into the, into the upper world and is able to retrieve the three gifts from the giant and they live happily ever after. But you can find this story in that region of the sky. If you imagine that Taurus the bull is the milking cow, the Pleiades is the handful of beans that Jack trades the cow for, the giant is, you know, the ogre in the story is the giant Orion in his belt of three stars are the three gifts that Jack has to win back. And then um, in one version of the story in Andrew Lang's color fairy books, Jack has a fairy godmother who's been testing him to see if he's the right type of fellow to actually win back the inheritance that is rightfully his, that the, that the ogre stole from his father. And so I imagine that that would be the star Sirius that's kind of, it's, well, it is the brightest star in our sky, but it's also there kind of overseeing this kind of destiny testing 
that the individual is going through. And these three gifts speak to the threefold nature of the human being, where we're a being of body, of soul, and of spirit. And I think this is really fundamental to understanding what's happening in, in our culture now, because we oftentimes don't speak about the threefold nature of the human being. We'll say, okay, yeah, there's, you know, we're physical and I believe in the spiritual or that I have a soul, but to really articulate the distinction between the soul and the spirit and to recognize that these are two additional members of our being. Um, and I feel like that's all related to that region of the sky. Oh my, I like it. And you, you, you mentioned the seven and also this three, which I'm sure you're quite aware shows up in all great stories and fairy tales. Yes, 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 yeah. <clears throat> and I wonder, like the three stars of Orion's belt or the seven sisters. Yes. Does it come from there? I mean, you know, what? I, so this is what I like to do. I like to say it could. And given that it could, let's go down the path a little way and see. And bear in mind that, we might be in error and, and be turned back, but trusting that it's out of goodwill that you set out that what you'll meet is hopefully a lesson that will bring enlightenment and not something that makes us run away in shame, you know? Like it's not out of ill will that you try to understand these things. But I think of the, the Pleiades, you know, the seven sisters, they're the most storied about stars in the sky. And, you know, when you look at like in the book of Proverbs, it's it's wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. Like these are the seven pillars of wisdom that Lawrence of Arabia is writing about in the beginning of his biography. And it's also, um, they could be related to the seven coverlids of destiny, but I think that's also the big dipper. Um, Orion, you know, his belt of three stars, that, that middle star has the name Al-Nalam, which means string of pearls. So I have sometimes wondered, you know, is that related to the pearly gates? Is this where that idea comes from? And is this, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm mentioning the Bible a lot, but it's interesting the stories that are there, particularly in the book of Job, there's this moment where God is saying to Job, um, and I, tend, I tend to quote the King James just because I like the language, canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? And so I think it's interesting because this is one of the only places in the Bible where we actually have the names of stars and constellations that are actually still in practice. And I think what's being asked in this moment, given the context of the time in which those words would have been written down, if we have this idea that it's still believed that every human being comes from a star, this question, can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades is like saying, can you call something forth into life from this, this point, from this source, from this place of origin? And then to see it uh, and to loose the bands of Orion, if this is connected to Osiris, connected to God of dead, then the second part of that question is, so first is, can you, can you call it forth into life and then see it across the threshold of death? And so we have this all happening in this one particular region of the sky that is, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, this is what's most pronounced for us in the winter months when we're more within and working, I would say, more in a more awakened way on the inner nature of being human, which is not so much about what's happening physically outside of us, but what is that soul spiritual nature that I can cultivate when I'm within and it's dark and it's cold and I come within. And these are the stars that are overhead at that time. 
The winter maker. Winter maker. I mean, it makes so much sense. Like I remember the first time I became quite intimate with this area. This guy I was living in Southern Colorado, in I think by default its own dark sky region. Yeah. And every night, starting in like October, November, Orion would rise over the Sangres, and just it's such a sight like you can just see it he's like tilted and then throughout the evening rises and you can see the entire story playing out around midnight it's such a beautiful thing and i just it is so also this is something what's the word like you use like when you see images in clouds do you know what I'm? There's a word for it, like aeronamps, aeronampsy, or something like this. I don't know that word, but I do know about seeing images in clouds. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but there's there's a term for this, and I think that I well, I like to kind of coax it out of people as well. It's like the stories are there, the Greco-Roman stories, or the Indian stories, or wherever you get the stories from. But also, what do you see? Right. When you look at the sky. And there's something that I would always see, especially when this area of the sky would be ascending in the east, which was a great eagle. Like when Orion's belt, those three stars, the pearly gates are pointed northward. Well, it wouldn't be north, but when they're vertical. Yeah. My eyes, I just see this huge bird coming out of the east. And then it disappears around midnight. It's hard to see it. But mm-hmm. when it's ascending, I always I always saw that. And I've never come across a story that mm-hmm. relates it, but maybe you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I could certainly I could certainly try to come up with one. I don't know if I can come up with one in the moment, but I'm I'm picturing it in the spot where I'm usually standing when I'm seeing what you're describing. And what it calls to mind for me is an experience I had many years ago when I was first learning to just recognize the constellations in the sky. And this actually happened because I was reading an astrology chart and one of my children came in the room, my daughter, Jane, she was maybe five at the time and said, oh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm reading the story of somebody's life, the way it's written in the stars, because I thought this was a really age appropriate answer. And she said, but you're cheating. I said, I said, what do you mean? I'm cheating. She said, you need to be out reading the stars. And I realized at that moment that I could not recognize the constellations in the sky. And I did feel like I was cheating. Like, what was I doing reading this piece of paper that had these markings on it? I needed to be looking at the stars. And I was out looking for Sagittarius and I just couldn't see it, even though I was looking at that region of the sky. And I was just so befuddled. And then all at once, it showed itself to me. That's the only way to describe it. And at the moment that it showed itself, everything else showed itself. It was like a veil was lifted and I could see all of the constellations in the flash of a moment. And I think when I think about what you've just described, where you're seeing, you're, you're seeing something come above the horizon and it has a particular, it calls forth something within your being that isn't present externally, but it is within you. 
that this, to me, this affirms our relationship and the necessity of our awakening to that relationship because it won't be there unless we bring it forth. So this is the change from ancient times when the stars spoke to the human being. Now, and this coming directly from Rudolf Steiner, it is humanity's turn to speak back to the stars. And so having descended from a star and hearing the speaking of the stars into this age when there's kind of a silencing of this way of knowing the stars so that we can develop this physical consciousness and there's a, the development of astronomy, now we come of age where we can begin to speak to the stars again, to remember that we are in the conversation. So I didn't really answer your question, but I shared with you where it sent me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all right. And I was, I was mainly just kind of thinking out loud and then being like, well, maybe she has the bird story because I haven't come across it. But I, this, this, we come from a star. Yeah. idea of course is an old one and there's techniques of finding the daemon in the charts or yeah, yeah, like yeah, one's yeah. one's lucky yeah. star ruling star i'm yeah. curious on your method of figuring out well so i'm kind of persons from yeah. i mean i'm i'm kind of stubborn in that it's like I, there's part of me that's like don't tell me i want to figure it out myself you know <laughs> And what I have done is try to pay attention to, right, because I want to get to it organically and intimately. So what draws my attention? What am I interested in? And then ask the question, why that? Or if I go out and I'm looking at the sky and I'm drawn to something in particular, like what was it? What was I thinking? Or where was I when, when that's the thing that drew me? And so it's just trying to be sensitive in the environment. And I have sometimes done this, like in, in New York City, traveling on the subway and coming into, you know, I, I live in the woods. So when I go into the city, it's kind of a sensory overload, but just trying to pay attention to like how human beings interact and what draws us to one another and kind of thinking of it in that context, like what draws me to a particular star. And so it hasn't been trying to calculate it based on my own chart. I've never looked at it that way. And I respect the fact that, it, that we can find a lot that way. It's more been for me about this kind of personal experience. What can I know if I don't know anything about a chart, but I'm experiencing the sky and I have a knowledge base. Mine happens to be in literature. Someone else's might be in music. Someone else's might be in art. What is it that is drawn forth from me when I have an experience of the stars? And is there a particular star that speaks through that? Hmm. And then the question, is that the star? Is that the star or is that just a star? And how do I come into relationship with that? Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Send a, a person on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go and find it. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, I'll tell you that just recently it took the form of, you know, there was the great conjunction at uh, winter solstice and that's right. when you and I first were corresponding and it was really cloudy and overcast here in northern Michigan around the time of the exact conjunction. So I only got to see it about a week ahead of time and then about two weeks later. So I missed the big moment in terms of visual observation. Same. But 
Uh, same for you. Is that what you said? Yeah, it was very yeah. cloudy around that time here in Medina. Yeah, but I, I had this wonderful experience of how, let's see how to describe this. So in the seven-year cycles of the life, if we apply to them this uh, our passage through the planetary spheres, so you could say, all right, as I'm as I'm descending toward life, you know, I'm coming through the Saturn sphere, through the Jupiter sphere, through the Mars sphere, and then the region of the Sun, and then coming toward, you know, through Venus, through Mercury, through Moon. Um, I said it in the order of the medieval astrology, with mm -hmm. Venus and Mercury are switched, and then at the at the moment of birth, then we have this journey back out. Right, so we do the same thing, but in reverse in these seven-year cycles. So the first seven years could be described as being governed by the moon sphere, uh, or could imagine it as this: my realm of experience reaches as far as the moon. And so this is a very imagination-rich time, very dreamy, very um, you know, it's childhood. And then we move into the Mercury sphere, then from fourteen to twenty-one, Venus, and then there's three seven-year cycles in the Sun sphere then Mars from 42 to 49, Jupiter from 49 to 56. And then at 56, we move from the Jupiter sphere into the Saturn sphere. That's where you are. That's where I am. And so <laughs> I had this experience last year when the Great Conjunction was happening and I wasn't seeing it, that, oh, I wonder if rather than just thinking about the Great Conjunction of something that happens every 20 years that I can see in the sky, if there's a biographical great conjunction that happens mm. and i decided that the biographical great conjunction happens at 56 when i'm moving from jupiter to saturn and so then i started to do some research to see is there anything that would indicate that that is so so what i found is that dante who died at 56 completed his divine comedy when he was 56. handel's messiah was first performed when he was 56 uh, the Miserere of Allegri was completed when he was 56. Like there's all this stuff that happens. And so I've recently been thinking, okay, 56 is like the year of the great conjunction, whether there's one happening or not, that this is something that happens in the biography that has this really beautiful culminating moment in it where the foundation now is there and the wisdom that we bring to that moment can actually begin to work out into the world. Um, this is a gift of that that passage from Jupiter to Saturn and the gift of the Great Conjunction. So that's, that's profound insight. I mean, of course, it co correlates with the second Saturn return. Right, right. As well, which is interesting because you're talking about individuals completing their great works. And right. I think if your ear is tuned during the first Saturn return and you get to work and you, in a way, clear a lot of the ghosts yeah. and move forward, initiated, then throughout that entire Saturn cycle, by the time you're in your late 50s and the great conjunction within happens, well, you should be releasing your first book, right? Called yeah. <laughs> Yes, you should be. <laughs> what a perfect setup. <laughs> yeah, that was a good setup, I must say. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I, no, neither, neither did I. <laughs> but thank you. Your, your first book. And why yeah. Mother Goose? I'm curious. So, yeah, hopefully it will make sense out of everything that I've just said. But I feel like it's important to, you know, kind of begin at the beginning. And um, 
part of the experience that I have had is that too many times now we're not we're not having the experience of nursery rhyme and fairy tale in childhood. Uh, there are a lot of people that aren't, a lot of children that aren't. Um, but also we dismiss these things as though, you know, oh, it's just a fairy tale, oh, it's just a nonsense rhyme, oh, it's just make-believe. But I'm always looking for the connectedness. And so one of the challenges of this book, because it's called The Star Tales of Mother Goose, for those who seek the secret language of the stars. And the question I get is, well, is it a children's book? And I have to say, well, yes, because it's Mother Goose. And then I also have to say, but it's written for adults. But if you don't have Mother Goose, then it's not going to make any sense. So there has to be Mother Goose there um, in order that you can find this. So what I was, my, my point is always, well, let me say it this way. My mission statement is safeguarding the human imagination by protecting our access to the night sky and its stories. Mm. So I'm always looking for the way to create a healthy imagination in relationship to the stars. And this is because I think it's fundamental to our future that we be able to create and arrive at new ideas. And imagination is not just about make-believe, but it is about the kind of cognition that we have to use when we are dealing with the unknown. So we use intellectual cognition to deal with the day-wake world, the things that we can see, that we can measure, that we can touch and sense and feel. But then we use imaginative cognition when we are dealing with those things that are beyond what we can understand in the sense perceptible world. And this is the first step in a spiritual process that doesn't end in imagination. The next stage is what would be described through spiritual science as inspiration. And now with, with imagination, I can begin to develop a sense or an idea of another world or other worlds or the spiritual world that with inspiration, I can now begin to orient in that world. And so it's not just a make-believe, but it's actually saying, yes, there is a spiritual reality and I can become cognizant of it. And then following on the inspiration, the third step is the intuition, where now I'm entering into that those beings that inhabit that world. So this is pretty deeply esoteric, but it's kind of this threefold process of moving through imagination to inspiration, to intuition, as a development of spiritual awareness. And so for me to do this book, it was like, okay, let's just begin at the beginning of an imagination. So we've got these mother goose nursery rhymes that are very whimsical. They're really delightful. They bounce along and there's a, it's a lot of fun and they don't need to be anything more than that. But what happened is uh, about 15 years ago, I, my niece was reciting a Mother Goose nursery rhyme. And I said, boy, where'd, where'd you get that? That's a cute one. And she said, oh, it's Mother Goose. And I thought I knew every Mother Goose nursery rhyme. And I was kind of like, no, it's not. And my sister showed me this book and showed me the rhyme. And I was really upset. And I went to bed that night. And I was kind of angry. And when I woke up in the morning, I got this message out of a dream. Mother Goose is Cygnus. Mother Goose uh -huh. is Cygnus over and over again. And I was... I was like, wow, wow, you know, like, okay, so I knew that the ancients believed that we come from a star and that the stars of the zodiac form, you know, impart their forces for the physical body and the planets are related to the inner organs, but like Cygnus is not in the zodiac. Like, how, it, what? Mother Goose is like, it's language. It's, this is all that was coming out of this message. And I realized. I had a flat plane of consciousness about the stars in relationship to the human being. I was only thinking about the ecliptic and not things beyond that. 
And I was just, I was staggered by this, like, whoa, like human being, you're multidimensional. And yeah, you're connected to all of these stars and they're all imparting a gift and you can find it. So that's how I began this journey with Mother Goose. And so I started looking into the rhymes and to try to not be arbitrary about it, but to also see, does it fit? Does it fit with what I see? So for instance, sing a song of sixpence. Do you know that nursery rhyme? It's the, it's uh, the, the top of my head. <laughs> so I'll just say it for you really quickly. Sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and 20 blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was open, the birds began to sing. Isn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? The king is in his counting house, counting all his money. The queen is in the parlor eating bread and honey. The maid is in the garden hanging up her clothes when along comes a blackbird and nips off her nose. Uh All right, so you can imagine the king is the constellation Cepheus. The counting house is the Milky Way. So Steve, Cepheus is right, just right at the edge of the Milky Way. He's almost got his foot on the North Pole. Mm. And then the queen is Cassiopeia. And I imagine the, um, she's eating bread and honey and the honey comes out of the beehive cluster at the center of the constellation Cancer. And then the maid is Virgo, who's along the ecliptic, which is which becomes the clothesline. And so she's kind of hanging up the clothes. And then beneath her is the constellation Corvus, the crow that's coming to nip off her nose. So you can see this whole picture in the sky. And for me, the point is not to take a child out and say, okay, you've got to identify all these constellations for you, but that we keep telling these rhymes because eventually we get old enough where we want to start to identify things in the night sky. And we want to know what they're, we want to know that they're connected to something. Mm -hmm. And so that's really kind of where that started. And so what I did, what I've done in the book is I just have a dozen mother goose nursery rhymes. And then I've researched the history of when each one of the rhymes first appeared written down. Um, and then how I've imagined how it's connected to the constellations of the night sky. And then I, I put in there also some research about where the name Mother Goose comes from. And at least according to what I've been able to discover is that it, it refers to a swan initiate. So this is coming out of the Middle Ages. And the swan initiates, when they had attained the third level of initiation, they surrendered their names and took on titles, a title like Mother Goose, you could say, that um, would kind of allow them this opportunity to speak about a high moral wisdom, the kind of wisdom that is comes through a fairy tale or can come through a nursery rhyme. Um, so it's, it's a, been a fascinating journey. I love it. So it's for kids, but it's adult too. We all can learn yeah. from this. Book. So the way I've described it, it's suitable for children and it's written for adults because I think we have to be careful about trying to call on the intellect of the child too soon because really we want to cultivate healthy imaginations. And one of the reasons I think that protecting the night sky is important for imagination is because this is the realm where we, you know, we're in the dark. Like when you go out in the dark, What's the first thing that happens if you don't know where you are and you don't have access to light? I mean, things start to stir. Like that's the imagination. It starts to move. So we don't want to turn the lights on in that place too soon. And like calling forth the intellect from a child too soon can really hinder the development of a healthy imagination. Mm. And so, um, so it's like, you know, let's just have the nursery rhyme and the fairy tale for the child and then 
the second part of it is for the adult to say, you know, here's, here's how you can imagine this being connected. This is why this is important. Yeah. Amazing. And people can find it on your site, starlord.io, is it? Dot co, dot co. Co, 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 got it. Dot co, and how about where people seem to buy books these days, like Amazon or... So we are, um, yeah, we're in a conversation about that. It's not on Amazon yet. Okay. Um, you can buy it directly from us at starlord.co. And then it's, you know, it's at my local bookstores and it'll be, yeah. It's, I mean, this is just, this is just coming up, right? Yeah, it's just happening right I mean, now. We didn't even yeah. time it like this. We were just going to have a conversation, but then you get to- <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's fun for me to think about the fact that in December, I didn't realize I would be saying, yeah, and I finished the book because this has been a really long-term project. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. I yeah, thank have you. no idea what that feels like though I'm in the first steps of my own project and it's daunting. Yeah. No, I think you know what it feels like. I mean, you're, you're in production, you do write, you do things that, I mean, it's, it's this having an idea, kind of working it out, seeing it through. I mean, writing is its own kind of challenge. Um, I feel like it's, it will never be done, even though it's being published, it it will never be finished. Right. Um, there just comes a moment where you have to say, okay, it's ready to go into the world now. And I have to keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Yeah. And so much of what you've opened up for us to think about is great too. I, I, I really like the fact that I'm going to be looking for stars and everything. I think I always do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but just the language. It's like Well, I mean, yeah, don't right when you're listening, you can't help it when you're an astrologer and somebody says how old they are or somebody mentions a date. I mean, your mind starts going like, okay, I know exactly what's you know, you don't maybe know exactly what's going on, but you can figure out a lot. Oh yeah. And, and then coming at it from from language and culture, it's just amazing to start listening for the stars mm-hmm. because they start to light up in everything. You're doing the good work, Mary. Thank yeah. you for doing the good work. And for everyone in Michigan or close, go right. to Sky Park. <laughs> Head, was it? Head? Headlands. Headlands. Headlands, yeah. The Headlands International Dark Sky Park, right on oh. the shores of Lake Michigan. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. If I ever make it to Michigan, I will go. The Again, Southern Colorado and the Big Island. The observatory on the Big Island, I think, are the darkest places I've been. Oh, yeah. See, I haven't been there. Oh, I would love to be there. Yeah, because there's an to- ordinance on the island, like all the lights. It's it's a little strange at first because they have different bulbs and all the street lights to make sure that the light pollution on the island doesn't mess with the observatory. Yeah. And when you're up there, I mean, you're already above it, so it's kind of ideal. Yeah, it's, I mean, it gets, it gets really dark here where I am, but I don't think it's quite like that. But this morning, you know, at the moment of equinox, you know, looking north, there's Cassiopeia. She's, you know, she kind of had tilted back on her throne. She was parallel to the horizon. Mm. And I just imagine it was like the, it was like the gates, the Northern gates swung open and spring came walking through wearing this, you know, beautiful color gown (laughs) 
the Northern Lights. I mean, it was just, it was so beautiful, just right there in the North where Cassiopeia was, right at the moment of, of the sun crossing the celestial equator. We weren't seeing that, but it was just like, this is that moment. Best iPhone picture ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> she sent it to me, everyone. I was like, wait, where was this? Oh, it was just in the woods by your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so um, this is the time of year when the Northern Lights are the most active. And I think that that's also really beautiful to, to ponder. What is it that happens at Equinox that makes it, makes that so? We can try to get to the science of it, but what is it if, if we think about starry worlds as the presence of, a, of something spiritual, what is it, what does it mean? What is it saying in erupting in these kind of phenomena at these points in the cycle of the year? Mm-hmm. So much, oh my goodness, my waterfalls, so much for us to ponder. And yeah, these stories too. I like revisiting fairy tales. It's one of the one of the great enjoyments I get in life is just, yeah, learning those stories. And even though I don't have kids, maybe. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think what's most important about fairy tales is that the hero always sets out with good intentions and then does something ridiculous and even life-threatening over and over and over again (laughs) until virtue comes to save the day and it always resolves in a happily ever after and that it's so relatable it's always you know you're told okay here's the keys i'm going to be gone for three days don't open that door and of course you're going to open that door and then (laughs) that sets you on this destiny path and I think fairy tales sometimes get a bad rap because it's always like, oh, how come it always has to be the male rescuing the female? It's really that the hero is whoever it is that's reading the story. And the female, the princess, the maiden, the one that's to be rescued always represents the soul of the human being, right? You know, we get this from Jungian psychology and this comes from different disciplines, but just that it's this quest to know the self and this union with the higher self. And I think that, yeah, this goes off into another um, another dimension of, of what I'm trying to understand astrologically, which is that we have this, you know, we have the tropical zodiac and then the sidereal zodiac, and then we can also look at a heliocentric chart, and that these things are not just interchangeable because they have to do with different members of our being. And in Dante's day, I mean, big on Dante right now because this year is the 700th anniversary of his death. Um, but that, you know, he spoke about the sublunary world, referencing Aristotle, how, you know, on the earth we live below the moon and that time in this sphere moves in a linear fashion. So we have, have you know, a beginning, the middle, and then the end going in a particular direction. But that when we move beyond the moon sphere, time does not move in the same way. And so already we have to develop a different type of cognition for that. And then if we're standing, you know, any place else in the cosmos, so for instance, from the perspective of the sun, then we're seeing it differently again. And so if we think about this kind of threefold nature of body, soul, and spirit, you could say, all right, so is it, it's a question I ask, is it that the tropical zodiac is connected to us in our day-wake sublunary world where we're dealing with time in a linear fashion and that when we move beyond the moon sphere and now come more into relationship with the stars this is the sidereal relative to the stars and that that already has to do with something higher in our nature which you could say is the soul 
and then getting to the heliocentric does that represent the moon or excuse me the the um the spiritual nature of the human being so we go body soul spirit that way just a, a question but always looking at how does it um how can I understand myself tropically? How can I understand myself sidereal? Like, right, I was born with the sun in Aries and in the tropical, in the sidereal zodiac, it's in Pisces. It's never yeah. made sense to me. Like, wait, okay, but in the soul nature, yes, it makes sense. But in the daywake, it doesn't. So trying to understand, do I really know, do I really know myself as a soul spirit being? And how am I related to that? Those are great questions, because I think a lot of folks, when they think about the old sidereal versus tropical, yeah, to use one of the words you've used a couple of times, which I adore, befuddles them. Yes. <laughs> like, but I'm not a Pisces. Like, right. Well, <laughs> sit with it. I mean, like my answer is like, these are two different systems. It's yes. the emphasis is even on the sun. And right. In, in Vedic astrology, and so it's just right, a different right. animal altogether. But I like I like your questions. I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's 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 good about to, to say you know just like just like I am not one dimensional. Neither are the stars, and it's there's these to have the maturity of soul to recognize that I'm growing and becoming and evolving continually. And yes, I'm 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 awake in the day. These things are real when I'm, you know, things are illuminated for me by the sun. But then I have this whole entire part of my life that happens when I'm asleep that I don't have day wake consciousness to apply to. And something is happening there that is in fact knowable if I can develop myself to the degree that I can awaken into that instead of out of it. So. Yeah. I enjoyed talking to you, Mary. Yeah, thank yes. you, Adam. I feel like I was kind of like a, a bouncing ball all over the place. But. It's all good. I mean, that's part of the show. Holes to heavens. I think you poked a few holes in the story for a minute <laughs> for us. And I think that's that's exactly the spirit of this podcast. Yeah. And so thanks for bringing your energy to it. And I'm... I'm Really happy that you finished a book. I hope a lot of people explore that book as well. And yeah, yeah, maybe we get to talk again sometime in the future. All right. Well, thank like you that. so so much. Yeah, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to share and to and to take some a couple of deep dives. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And yeah, it's not evening yet there, but you'll you'll see the moon with the hunter. When, I will. When the I will. Goes at, down. The, <laughs> at the celestial gateway, right? Yeah. New language <laughs> for me. I'm going to have to re-listen to this because you said a lot of great ideas I've never thought about in such a way. Great with language. So I appreciate that. Oh, I, thank you. Thanks. Well, enjoy the day and we'll talk right. again. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Mary Stewart Adams, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, you can go to her site, starlord.co, to find out what she's up to. Also, get yourself that book, The Star Tales of Mother Goose. The three things that I think 
well, there was more than three, but the three main ones I took away from having that conversation with Mary was number one, Orion, the winter maker. Don't tell stories until there is snow on the ground. Now, of course, we don't all live in places where it snows, but you get the idea. I like that because whenever Orion starts to show up and fall up here in the northern hemisphere, there's, there's, I think it is a high time for stories. In a lot of ways, I could go into that in future shows. Number two, Jack and the Beanstalk related to this Gemini Taurus area in the sky. Loved it. The three and the seven and the pearly gates of Orion's belt. Lots to think about in there. And finally, this is something that's already become applicable. It, ha- it occurred in the parlor the other night, was the internal great conjunction that happens around age 56. That's something I'm going to play with, something I'm also going to be looking forward to when I turn 56. And so, anyways, Mary Stewart Adams, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, leave some stars in a review. If you want to get access to any of my classes and just share some love for the podcast, you can do it on your podcast app. That easy. Send me the screenshot. That's how that link happens. If you want to be a patron and automatically be a part of all the Constellating Psyche classes moving forward, be a part of the parlors, maybe even become an astrologer yourself, patreon.com slash adamsummer is where you go and do all of that. And if you want solar fire in your life, I mean, if you're getting serious in your studies, I think it might be time to get solar fire. And you do so by going to alabe.com and use promo code SOMA to get 15% off of that magnificent program. I'm going to leave you with a song by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, actually a guy who kind of makes me a little nostalgic for Dartmoor a little bit. He lives somewhere near there. Totnes, I believe. Ben Howard. And he's slow releasing his new album, and this song was the first to come out. And it's called What A Day. I absolutely love this song, and it's kind of the way I feel these days. Every day feels like Groundhog's Day, just kind of locked down in Airbnbs, and what a day. What a day. And so here's Ben Howard. Take it away, and be well, be kind, and I will talk with you soon enough. Yeah. Uh-huh.